Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss JCDC, the light at the end of the tunnel. CISA introduces a joint cyber defense collaborative. Next up, an unresolved DNS-based vulnerability. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 93, recorded on August 9th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. There's nothing new under the pun, LaBelle. With me, co-host Chad, Dirty Keys type dirt cheap, Anderson, and last, but certainly not least, Tim, I'm on the highway to Helming. <laughs> welcome. Welcome, gentlemen. Oh, thank you. Have you seen the uh, the viral video of how to make an ACDC song in 30 seconds? <laughs> I can't say I have. If you haven't, I mean, just after this this podcast recording, or if you're listening after listening to this podcast, do yourself a favor and go find it. Go find it. That sounds pretty hilarious. I'm having a hard time not going and looking right now. Can you provide us any kind of summary, or is it totally going to blow? I'll I'll give you just amazing. a little okay. a little teaser, uh, okay. and that is that Marge Simpson is part of the uh, part of the key ingredients. Isn't she a key ingredient for everything? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're living your best life, she is. <laughs> this is uh, a little tangential, but. I recently heard in this neighborhood near where my in-laws live, some people have a kind of like a wood cutout of uh, Homer Simpson that they put behind their hedges. So it's like the <laughs> nice. classic. Like where he uh, <laughs> faded into the head. Faded That's pretty into- <laughs> great. That's yeah, pretty good. Two blocks up from me, there is a uh, Sasquatch um, like wooden uh like panel display that is wearing a seahawks jersey that is in someone's bushes that's like it looks like it's running out of the uh the bushes i think there's a lot of that classic that classic sasquatch pose like kind of mid-stride looking toward you yeah i'm kind of disappointed though they painted him uh very well i mean it could be a sasquatch she i don't know they painted them um uh you know fully uh defined and i feel like if you're gonna paint a sasquatch um you know, cut out, it's got to be blurry. It does. So, yeah, that's, that's that a little messed up. They actually part. are blurry in real life, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the cameras. It's that the Sasquatch is a blurry being. That's right. Mm-hmm. Some Somebody put one of those in a park over in Silverdale, too. Oh. They, but it's like an art installation, and it's made of metal. But it's it's there. It's pretty good. You have to know where to look for it. Nice. If I got into drones, I would do like a Sasquatch drone that just kind of like floats through the woods, really blurry. Just really blurry. Yeah. I, I I mean, I feel like we could talk about interesting city art for a very long period of time or just neighborhood art, if you will. But one of my favorite statues is um, on the way out of Seattle, I think going southeast. Um I believe there is a large crow eating a very large fry next to a very large box of fries. Mm. I want to see that. Beautiful. I haven't seen it. Can we book Banksy on the show, by the way, since we're talking about street (laughs) art? Kelsey, can you get, just get on that? I think Banksy would be offended 
that his name was brought into the mix after talking about a horrible crow structure <laughs> in Washington. Well, you know, Poor artists Banksy. in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> it's true. Oh my gosh. Ah, well, should should we talk security? I mean, I'm I'm down to talk statues all day too. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's pivot this podcast and talk public art. Um, public art. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna Instead, need a different name, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, because most public art is bad. So we're going to break the public art. Oh, um, it's yeah. Oh, so it's yeah. We don't even have to. It's, hey, it's we might. Fixed. Do we need a new logo though? Possibly. I don't know. I'll have to think. Casual about that. rebrand. Yeah, I um, I don't know if you all know, but there was a little uh, logo fun that happened on our Breaking Badness logo via uh, Turbo Conwell, mm. um, one of the the. Teamwork makes the dream work, folks at Domain Tools. Um, let's let me read his tweet. He's been playing with VQ underscore uh, GIN plus clip, which is deep learning text to image generative models. And so he did that on the Breaking Badness logo. And I'll link it in the podcast because it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. That's uh, Turbo Coder for those of you uh, checking, but no E in the coder. C-O-D-R. There you go, Turbo. All right. Well, let's talk uh, JCDC, the light at the end of the tunnel. So the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, announced its Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative to develop the United States Cyber Defense Plans, which include bringing together public and private sector entities to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of its execution. Um, that was a lot of really exciting words bundled into that description. But just for those who aren't familiar, Chad, what is CISA? No idea. CISA <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, monkey, monkey doo. <laughs> but if you ask him what CISA is, he'll certainly yeah. uh, tell you. Yeah, CISA, that's a member of Wu-Tang Clan, right? Um, so, uh, she says, uh, the, the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, um, this is a child agency of the department of Homeland security. Um, and CISA was formed in 2018 under something that president Donald Trump signed, um, something, <laughs> just like something, you know, there's slide things on his desk. He signs them. Uh, but they track and secure critical infrastructure and general cybersecurity for United States systems, um, providing guidance for private organizations and such. Uh, most famously, their first director, Chris Krebs, um, was fired over Twitter by President Donald Trump after Krebs countered Trump's arguments that voting infrastructure was secure during the election. Uh, CISA was in charge of the security of the voting infrastructure. So that's how most people became aware of the agency. Those of us in the industry um, kind of saw them birth and uh, just kind of become a advisory force as well as uh, bridging some things between private and public sector and um, you know doing some work with critical uh, infrastructure security in the United States, um, in the realm of the cybers. I think that was also when a lot of people learned that there was another guy named Krebs in uh, security. Mm. Yeah. 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 Who's the other Krebs now though? That's the real question. Mm. Who is the other Krebs on security? Choose your Krebs. Yeah. Fight. I know I've mentioned this many times, but I'm still a big fan of Krebs on security. Yeah. Satire site. Um, so there's always that. Anyway, <laughs> what is this new initiative then, the JCDC? 
and what's their mission vision and favorite acdc song yeah so um uh jen easterly who's the current director of um uh cisa said that she would have hoped that they would allow her to call it acdc for the advanced cyber defense collaborative um but their lawyers said no so they had to go with the joint cyber defense collaborative uh it's designed to be a planning initiative to up the cyber game uh if you will both in planning risk management national strategy uh as well as in the education sector right so all of these things kind of combine to uh you know make us better at the cybers as they say um, so on top of the typical laying out best practices and, um, planning for issues that might arise, uh, in the cybersecurity realm defensively, um, they'll also be spearheading solving this cybersecurity worker and knowledge gap. Um, they're also doing a quite a bit of hiring. Um, so they're bridging, uh, across both the public and private sector to make all this happen. And they're partnering with a ton of organizations, um, right out of the gap or right out of the, right out of the gate. Um, yeah, or I guess out of the gap, you know, if we're looking to solve this knowledge gap. But uh, they, yeah, they're partnering with a bunch of organizations right out of the gate to uh, get started on this. Do you think they use the um, the lovely audio tracks from the tube? He's like, mind the gap. Mm. Just every day as they're walking into the cliche sort of CIA facility. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually should be something on every like junior SOC analyst desk. It's like a little bug. It's like, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Like, Please don't pivot that many times. Um, <laughs> that's not what you think it is. It's a false yeah. positive. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. We should have stickers made. Yeah. Um, well, you you'd mentioned they're partnering with a, a few groups. Who Who are those folks? Yeah, so a bunch of interagency partnerships, ISAC partnerships. Um, they'll be partnering with industry giants like FireEye, CrowdStrike, AWS, Palo Alto, and Google. Um, a bunch of others uh, to set forth all these plans, education initiatives, and whatnot. So um, as we know, transparency and information sharing is huge in uh, this space, um, in the defense world. Um, and so hopefully this is successful. Man, I've never heard of what is it? Google? Yeah. FireEye. Yeah, some pretty small names. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's really exciting. And that's... As you said, bridging that that gap word of the day between public and private is great news. And I'm I'm curious. They had this list of core capabilities, and and of course you can read all of those in if you're at the show notes. Um, it links directly to the announcement. But are there any of them you'd like to highlight? Yeah, there's two that I really um, liked out of there. The first, they mentioned the integrated defense of critical infrastructure. Uh, I'm not sure how they plan to achieve this, but having private critical infrastructure stakeholders share their you know logs and other data with each other could be a huge boost. Um, tra- like I said, transparency and sharing is key for defense. Um, and I'm excited to see the kind of analysis and defense improvements that can come from that, especially if it's all coordinated. Um, just makes a big, uh, big difference. You know, if you think of like the colonial pipeline um, sort of issue, uh, you know, if there's an attack on a piece of infrastructure like that and it's bubbling up invisible for all people that are running pipelines, I guess, or any sort of critical infrastructure, it can, um, you know, it can mean a lot uh, to be sharing that kind of data between defenders at those different organizations. So uh, the other key bit was developing adaptive defense to respond to reactions from U.S. government offensive operations. And I thought that was an interesting call out. Uh, it provides a broad space for, you know, red team kind of research, vulnerability research, um, anything that kind of like 
it, it basically doesn't keep the agency's hands tied in a pure um, blue team defensive role. Um, so I thought I thought that was kind of intriguing because, you know, to be able to react to offensive operations, um, you're going to have to be able to understand them a little bit more. So I, I wonder if that'll be the piece that allows them to do, um, you know, maybe some more uh, proactive defense work. I'm thinking of something like uh, the FBI did recently with removing web shells from vulnerable exchange servers or something like that. Um, if it'll give them like the the space to do that. I'm, I'm not really sure. Just totally spitballing there. But um, it was just an interesting call out in the lines. And uh, I'm curious to see what that gives them the capability to do. I have to admit, anytime anyone ever brings up Colonial Pipeline, all I think about is that scene from Bridesmaids where the main character is just like, there's a colonial woman on the wing. <laughs> it's just like where right. my brain goes every time. I see the colonial pipeline. I just see like ships leaving like the Dutch East Indies or sorry, the Dutch, <laughs> or, you know, and like crossing the sea to, you know, you know exploit. I just see cheesy uh, houses in the faux colonial architecture style. Mm. <laughs> With and the what, and the pipeline that exits them. Yeah. yeah. Do we need a cybersecurity war shack? Replace like a word rather than the image, and people have to tell you what they see. I feel it's like cobalt it's, strike. It's cobalt, it's cobalt strike. strike. It's cobalt strike. <laughs> well, isn't that basically kind of what what all the uh, wrong answers only Twitter memes are about? Oh my gosh. I guess you're right. <laughs> Well, you've you've mentioned Jen Easterly uh, quite a few times, and she's the new CISA director. We've got to give her some credit. I mean, they're going to start, you know, I think her tagline has to be like strong Easterly wins or something like that. But it seems like she was unanimously confirmed by the Senate in July, which, whew, that in itself. Um, but what was her background prior, just out of curiosity? Yeah, so she, she goes by Cisa Jen on Twitter, um, kills it, 20-year U.S. Army veteran, Rhodes Scholar, did her master's degree at Oxford. Uh, this is her initiative that she's driving, and um, she also, if you watch the Black Hat keynote, uh, can do a fantastic rendition of the Elaine dance um, from Seinfeld. So, real real props there uh, to Director Easterly. She also served on NSA's Tailored Access Operations Group, which is their, you know, red team group, super, um, you know, elite, as the hackers say, and uh, helped establish the U.S. Cyber Command. Um, she was a direct assistant to uh, Barack Obama uh, during his administration for a time. Um, she's done it all, plus worked in the private sector at J.P. Morgan Chase, I believe, for a spell. Um no, Morgan Stanley. She was at Morgan Stanley. Um, but uh, impressive nominee, and I think that's why no one complained when she stepped into the role. Honestly, she's got she's got the background um, and all of the uh, you know experience. So excited to see what she drives here. Her phone number definitely ends in one three three seven. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I we don't dox people on this show, uh, Tim. Just no, kidding, we're not we gonna, we're not going to tell what the rest of the numbers are. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, you've got, uh, yeah, I mean, there's only three really to go from there because you know it's going to be in Maryland uh, or, or uh, oh my gosh, my my brain has just stopped working. D.C., there we go. That's the capital of our country. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I thought you were going to say it, the capital of Arkansas, and I was like, get this man a burrito. <laughs> yeah. Stat. <laughs> yeah. I'm that hungry. Still waiting on first meal. First meal. Mm, breakfast burrito. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Chad, I have I have but two more questions for you, which is the first being, did anything 
tickle your curiosity or get you excited when you read through the announcement? Uh, yeah, read. I mean, I, I watched the keynote. That's why I was unavailable all last week doing Black Hat stuff. Um, sadly, from my basement, because I was worried about DEFCON um, and uh, Delta variant, just, you know, doing my own threat modeling there. So sorry, Mr. Vegas and Pepe's Burritos and all the great things that happened there. But uh, anyways, uh, I'm mostly excited for CISA to take up more of a role here be that bridge to private sector, provide more guidance and structured nationwide defense uh, in the realm of cybersecurity. I'm hoping we can get some good initiatives out of this whole thing that'll help those medium and small businesses um, that don't have the kinds of capabilities or funding uh, to do security teams, to have people threat hunting. Um, I'm kind of thinking of in along the lines of, uh, you know, a rising tide um, brings up all ships or whatever the saying is, um, you know, just something to get up the capabilities for everyone, at least with, you know, best practices, guidance for hardware vendors, uh, you know, whatever is it falls under that realm of nationwide defense. Um, so I just, yeah, hoping to see some coordinated effort and some industry buy-in. Um, and I think if any industry is capable of doing it, uh, it it's CISA at this point. And, you know, we're going to obviously bounce into our hoodie rating after this question. And it's so weird to try to format a question that has a positive response <laughs> when, it talk, when we're talking about impact. So I, I want to ask a, a little bit different question than I do typically um, and ask pretty much what you think will make the JCDC effective and what items in particular will be critical to their success so they can actually accomplish those, those missions uh, and and their vision essentially that they put on the website. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty ambitious because, you know, when you talk nationwide defense, um, you're talking all the organizations buying in, you're talking all of the, you know, public sector interagency stuff. There's so much um, sharing when you when you look at how muddied already all of this TLP um, stuff is and, and sharing with, you know, uh, between groups and companies and you have these back channels of, you know, for us, uh, fellow cybersecurity researchers that I'm like, oh, hey, I've got this, but like, you know, we can't really talk about it yet. You know, so many people are doing that in the industry all over the place. Uh, and we will see, you know, success here, I think, hinging on that information sharing and transparency, uh, what it comes down to. So some sort of program that's trusted by industry partners, um, you know, by other agencies, uh, something that people want to participate in, um, that there's something that they get out of it. I don't know if the way to do that is maybe through access to free tooling by participation in sharing your telemetry or or what, um, but they're going to have to do something if they truly want to do nationwide defense that gets people uh, wanting to be involved where there's enough of a benefit to the companies to share their telemetry um, in this, you know, pursuit. Yes, indeed. And Tim, with all of Chad's helpful information, um, I think it's time for our hoodie goodie rating. And that is from zero to 10. 10 is typically very bad and one is not as bad, but I'm I'm just going to go out on a limb here and assume we're going to go on the positive scale, which is the goodies. And we like to imagine warm chocolate chip cookies when we say that. Uh, but what, what would you place this at? We are definitely in the realm of goodies. And uh, this is, I'm, I think this is pretty great. Um, it's been this kind of partnership, public private sector partnership, um, is what we've needed kind of all along. Um, and we can't make the kind of progress we have to without it. So I think this is a very necessary step. And 
By the way, it also sort of dovetails well with some of the things that were laid out in the executive order back in March or whenever that was, um, that was uh, going to foster a lot more sharing, uh, information sharing, uh, among other things. So I'm going to, you know, it's hard for me to ever go to 10 and and ultimately it all comes down to how it's actually executed. It sounds like it's a terrific plan, um, but I'm going to go with eight goodies, um, reserving a couple for let's see what happens uh, in the actual implementation. The scale goes to 11. That's just for Spinal Tap fans. Right. That's for a different, a different episode where we'll, we'll do Spinal Tap instead of JCDC. I really want to open a vinyl record store and call it Vinyl Tap. That's... That's when you'll know I've achieved what I'm looking for in life. Or or a bar uh, that plays only vinyl as the house music. Oh, that oh, brilliant. Or and it has to be pub. a brewery. Yeah, brew yeah, pub. Definitely. <laughs> well played. Okay, my life dream has just changed a little bit, Tim. I've got some uh, modifications to make, but I think it'll be good. Um, Chad, what would you put this at? You know, I think... Uh... <laughs> I think this initiative is uh, TNT. It's dynamite. You know, um, I would oh say, you know, hopefully it stops um, all of these hackers doing these dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Um, but uh, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to rate it a uh, eight out of ten um, and see what the implementation goes. I'd be willing to go to nine out of ten if uh, Jen would accept a uh, Breaking Badness um, hoodie from us and, you know, came uh, back wearing, uh, you know, back in a black hoodie, you could say. Um, but, uh, yeah. That's... So, hey, Tom, Tom Hanks, uh, next time you're talking to Jen at one of those cocktail parties, yeah. please let her know, okay? Pass that along to her. Th- thanks. Yeah. For Thanksgiving. That's your Thanksgiving crew there. Yeah, Thanksgiving Got crew. it. Yeah. That sounds like a really fun meal, I'm not going to lie. Uh, depending upon, I mean, I've been to some bad Thanksgivings where people don't know how to cook. As long as the food's great, I'm in. Uh, <laughs> This one, they'd only be feeding you with knowledge. That's yeah. all you mm-hmm. need. Yeah, get stuffed on. <laughs> I don't know. Get stuffing done. <laughs> yeah, stuffed on teacaps. Address uh. challenges. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all gravy. It's all, all right. gravy. <laughs> I'm getting really hungry while we're podcasting. I feel like food no. has come up quite a few times already. Somehow. Carry on, you turkey. <laughs> So our next article is an unresolved DNS-based vulnerability. So last week, I don't know if people know, but last week was Black Hat. Um, So just to keep everybody in the loop there. uh, But two researchers of, I believe from the firm Wiz, presented a new class of vulnerabilities based on their incredibly detailed research. So in order to level set before we discuss that, discuss... (laughs) discuss the research and vulnerability class. Tim, how do managed DNS providers work? Well, just as an aside, first of all, I, I just can't help thinking of, of, it bounces back and forth between two things when I think about these researchers and who they work for, Wiz. One is the, the of course, the uh, Broadway musical based on the Wizard of Oz called The Wiz, uh, with the famous hit song from the 70s, uh, Ease On Down the Road. And uh, give it a listen if you haven't already. Or back on the East Coast, I don't know if they're still there. There was a uh, like a 
home stereos and stuff type store called Nobody Beats the Wiz. That was the whole name of the store. The store wasn't I'm, just called the Wiz. Tim, I am shocked that Cheese Wiz was not the first thing that entered your brain because that's certainly what happened. I'm a I'm a visual uh, I'm a I'm a visual processor and there's no H in Wiz here, so uh, I think that is probably why that didn't happen. Otherwise, yeah, that was pretty likely. Okay, but anyway, back to uh, managed DNS providers. So, uh, well, Kelsey, let's uh, let's say that you've gotten yourself a nifty new domain and you want uh, people to be able to visit your nifty new blog or your e-commerce site on the information superhighway. Well, somebody has to provide the authoritative DNS services that enable that. And uh, a lot of times for smaller sites or blogs or whatever vanity websites, it's just the hosting provider that you go with, or sometimes it's hosting and domain registration and uh, uh, lunch delivery and other related services uh, like DNS. They're all provided in some kind of a one-stop shopping kind of experience. I'm just kidding. Jack in the box doesn't provide DNS uh, services or domain registration. But anyway, for uh, for your more sophisticated or your high volume domains or complex ones that have a lot of different components that sit on different servers and such, it might be easier for you to use a service like Amazon's uh, Route 53 or, uh, or Google's managed DNS or uh, the DNS that comes with content delivery networks like the Akamai's of the world. And so, you know, the way it works is you provide the domain to IP mappings in the configuration of your DNS um, and the provider takes care of the rest uh, where the rest in this case means that they're managing the servers, they're making sure they stay up and get patched and stuff and zone transfers are flowing happily like they're supposed to and all that maintenance kind of stuff. And uh, like if you are using a CDN, then they do things like optimizing the DNS responses so that visitors in different regions of the world get the servers that they're supposed to get to both in terms of being closest to them for minimal latency is and uh, uh, maybe things like language localization and all of that. So DNS can be, I don't know if you'd heard this, but it can be actually rather complex and uh, these managed providers make it uh, easier for you. But it's going to turn out, I don't want to give too much of a spoiler that they can also do other things. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Tim, playing off of your your whiz realization, I don't know if that's the correct word, but I think it's a real missed opportunity if this firm, Wiz, does not specialize in managing data leaks. Oh, now you got something there. I think, yeah. Um, hmm. yeah. All right, Additionally, well. Additionally, I'm, yeah. Well, Wiz, if you're listening. Yeah, if I'm you're, here. if you're. Uh, I'm me. We, we've got a, we've got ideas here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, I think I'm going to spin up a website that only sells vanities and it will be my own vanity website. Oh yeah. I like that. Yeah. Does that make me vain to have a vanity website? Uh, I no, no. Cause you're, <laughs> you're actually selling, you're selling vanities to others. So okay. it, it I'm might, you might be, they, yeah, maybe they're the ones getting vain. <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, it's all in vain. Uh, so what research was conducted then now that you've given us some great foundational information? 
Yeah. So these researchers got kind of curious about what would happen if they basically spoofed a DNS server belonging to a major provider. So in this case, Amazon's uh, AWS uh, Route 53. And in the article, uh, they describe registering a domain that's the same as a real Amazon name server. Now, there's a subtlety here um, if you're reading this article because th they didn't register that domain in the sense of owning the domain name. They couldn't because the actual registerable part of that host name is actually owned by Amazon. So instead, what they did is they created a zone file for a real DNS server that is owned by Amazon, and they did it inside of Amazon's infrastructure. And it turns out that Amazon didn't prevent this kind of configuration. And so once they'd done that, they started uh, very quickly receiving traffic from machines that were looking for that legitimate name server. And the reason they received all this traffic has to do with a method that Microsoft uses in Windows for updating the master server when the machine's IP address changes, such as like when you shift your remote work from home to Starbucks, which of course no security-minded person would do, but still. I'm curious then, what traffic did they encounter once they registered the domain and how did they do this? Yeah, so they, uh, well, again, it was it was in creating this zone file that included that, uh, that host name of the legit um, AWS name server. And so this just started this fire hose of DNS traffic that was coming from machines all over the world. So they said it was more than a million endpoints that uh, they saw traffic from. They said it represented over 15,000 organizations coming from uh, Fortune 500 companies, more than 40 U.S. government agencies, more than 80 international government agencies, um, traffic coming from a lot of folks. It could even have been you. Except you probably dun, don't have dun, any dun. Windows machines, do you? <laughs> so how could that data be used? I mean, how concerning is this discovery that they made? Yeah. So, you know, it turns out that DNS traffic is a little bit more complex than just so saying, what's the IP address for foobar.com? Um, these queries that are coming in, and these in particular, uh, these were coming from Windows devices. And the scary thing about that traffic is those Windows machines spill a lot of information about themselves and about the environment that they're running in as they run these queries, trying to update the master server. So, uh, the kind of stuff that these researchers were seeing was internal and uh, external IP addressing schemes. They were seeing employee names, uh, machine names, um, office locations. And if you read the article, they, um, they, without doxing anybody, they real, they showed how much detail, um, they were able to find, including, uh, exposing potentially some, um, practices that, Oh, companies might not want to necessarily um, have been discovered, like where they have employees working and so forth. So it, it was a lot of uh, information that could be used in lots of different ways. Um, and there are uh, a number of different kinds of attacks that you could imagine pulling off once you had the data from those queries in your possession. Ooh, absolutely. And, and at the end of their blog, um, Sherry, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, poses the question, who is responsible for solving this problem? And I'd be really curious, Tim, with your background, especially with DNS, to hear your take. Well, I guess ACDC probably isn't, you know, it's not their job. So we'll, we'll <laughs> say somebody else. But 
Well, given the severity of the potential consequences from this, I, I will say that I was a bit surprised by the response from Microsoft, which felt a little bit flip. And they said that these queries worked the way they did because of a misconfiguration. Of course, it's the user's fault. Um, it's a legitimate setting. It's not a bug. And, you know, to me, that's not really the right answer. I'm sure they're correct in a narrow sense. But to me, that feels a little bit like if you built a big, tall, narrow staircase that didn't have any railing and you said, you know, if you, if you don't know how to walk up and down stairs and you fall to your death, well, that's on you. Um, it's evident that this misconfiguration is very, very common. Um, but uh, they point out that the, this wouldn't occur. So this feels a little like finger pointing. It wouldn't occur if the managed DNS providers had guardrails of their own, uh, particularly around creating zone files for domains that you don't actually own. Uh, now, I think that both parties have some responsibility here because it's been uh, evident for years that there's a lot of room in the world of domain registration and DNS and hosting and stuff to put illegitimate information into those services. We see it all the time. You've never had to tell the truth about who you were when you registered domains. So, of course, there's this absolute flood of spoof domains that, you know, we see thousands of them every day, basically. And so now we see that you don't even have to own the domain itself in order to receive traffic in, in this particular way. Um, so more guardrails around registration and hosting might uh, not just prevent this specific scenario of abuse, but potentially um, could help slow down some of the other spoofing types of attacks. And I'm saying slow down because we know it's not realistic that they're going to be able to lock any of this down 100%. But Kelsey, there's good news. Uh, which is that AWS and Google have both, in fact, uh, they've both rolled out patches to prevent this particular abuse mechanism. Um, there, the article that I saw about this mentioned that there's a third provider that's following suit, and I gotta believe that there will be others too. Um, so, hey, a little bit of good news to end the story. This has been a pretty happy podcast, dare I say, from a news perspective. You know why? You know why? Because we're not talking about that one word that we, you know, have to talk about so often. <laughs> that starts with the pirate's favorite letter, that word? Yeah, it just puts a spring in your step not to have to deal with that. It really, truly does. Well, let's let's end here on our hoodie rating. Chad, what, what would you put this at? You know, when I first uh, read this research, it really shook me all night long. I was thunderstruck. Um, when you're doing research like this, though, you really have to shoot to thrill, you know, and hopefully you'll uh, ring hell's bells and really get something successful out of this, you know. Uh, you have to take your shot in the dark, as they say. But, uh, you know, they, they didn't touch too much. Uh, so, uh, in the end, it all, uh, you know, came out that these patches are making these services hard as a rock. So, um, you know. I guess we're we've got eight out of ten goodies here. That was pretty amazing. That was impressive. I I think I, I was doing a slow clap on mute here. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tim? I, I don't know how anybody can beat that, um, especially when it comes to ACDC references. I'm but... I'm not even going to try. I just absolutely bow down to uh, to chat on that one. But um, I'm just I was seeing Gene Simmons uh, the whole time. He was just rattling that off. You know, this is a, I don't know, I don't see this as um, quite as 
rosy as that, unfortunately, uh, it just because, first of all, the Microsoft part of it is not, there's no evidence that they're going to change their tune on that. Maybe they will. Um, oh, they will. They're going to do, they're going to charge you additional amounts for uh, those security patches. <laughs> it's their business model. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. So there's been so much bashing on them on Twitter for that with all their, uh, well, since the three, six, five stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think this is kind of neutral, honestly, like there are some goodies in the patches by, um, Amazon and Google and possibly others coming, but there's Microsoft machines are going to keep doing this. And now that the research is out there, um, I wouldn't be surprised if malicious actors may be able to find other managed DNS servers uh, or managed DNS providers, uh, rather, that they can kind of spoof this way. Um, probably won't get as much traffic as they did with AWS, but maybe enough to pull off some shenanigans. So I'm just going to say zero. Um, we're going to say that these things, the matter and antimatter here, cancel out. And uh, it's a big goose egg. Goose egg. Well, and just to clarify, chat, were you had eight goodies, correct, for this one? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting uh, that they're all, yeah, those are patched up, um, and that's a good thing that there was responsible disclosure in this. I guess you could say, um, but yeah, I guess I do share a little bit of concern still, as Tim says, these managed providers uh, could allow all sorts of bad things to happen. But the the big ones, you know, with Route fifty three and stuff patched, um, seems pretty good to me. Very nice. Well, shall we end with our game, Two Truths and a Lie? Shall we play a game? I would like to play a game. Um, Tim, Chad, do you want to introduce it? Uh, the, you mean this game that we're going to play? This beautiful game. The beautiful game. <laughs> yeah, it's called Spin the TTL. And uh, Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Wait, that's, not, that's for a different podcast. Uh, that's for I Don't Give a Flux. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, coming up next, right after this. <laughs> but uh, Two Truths and a Lie, the game that you played in a tent, no doubt, when you were a kid. Um, and somebody, who in this case will be me, uh, is going to try to fool my co-hosts with a bogus security story sandwiched in, which doesn't necessarily mean the lie is the, the middle one, but it could be. Uh, sandwiched in among a couple of true security story headlines. So uh, are you all ready? As ready as I'll ever be. All right. Story number one, cash in a van down under. Uh, RCE in an Australian ATM network allows skimmerless cash fests. Story number two, Microsoft introduces the super-duper secure mode for the Edge browser. And yes, that's the real name, I promise. Story number three, you can pay $300 to, guess what, skip to the front of the Facebook customer service line for whatever it is you're trying to get Facebook to fix for you, and you get a free Oculus if you do that. Wow, Facebook's really trying to solve that rift. No. <laughs> Gosh. Well, I feel like you tried to get in our heads a little bit there mm. with the mm. mention of the sandwich. Mm. Mm. 
if if the second one is correct, I think that's a thou protest too much. Thou doth protest too much. <laughs> it's a little over the top. Hmm. I'm gonna say Microsoft Edge is a lie. A, it doesn't really exist. Pretty convinced. Living life on the edge. Yeah, living life on the edge. Um, Internet exploder for life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still on Netscape Navigator. I think it's it's perfectly Uh, fine. I just ask Jeeves what the best browser is. Or I read Reddit on links. That's that's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just curl piped into less and just read it as it comes. Read it as it comes. I'm going to go with the first one as the lie, just to spread the board, because I have no idea. These are very good, Tim. Well, it turns out that uh, Microsoft really did introduce something they honestly call super-duper secure mode for a browser that at least they feel exists, uh, that they call Edge. (laughs) And... And it also turns out that uh, if you if you do have a uh, an Oculus, which costs you three hundred bucks, you do get to skip to the front of the customer service line uh, on Facebook. So, Kelsey, good job. You were correct. There <laughs> is no in RCE <laughs> in Australian ATMs that I'm aware of right now. So, oh my gosh. Well, it's a good day, mate. <laughs> um, oh my gosh! Yeah, I'd had the Australia. I sh- I should have uh, I should have known the Australia reference tied to ACDC, since they're from Sydney. It would have. Uh, yeah. Well, see, I threw it off by uh, singing the um, uh, the men without hats uh, song mm. at the front. <laughs> yeah, Vegemite sandwich. Yeah, I could. I had no idea what that lyric was when I was a kid, and that song was playing on the radio. I, I, it sounded sort of like Big Jamaican Sandwich, but I, I just gave up trying to understand what. What? It, then later, much later in life, I learned what Vegemite was, and uh, a part of me died a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> you really wished it was a Big Jamaican Sandwich. Yeah, that would yeah. be good. Some jerk chicken. They jerked mm-hmm. you around. Yeah. A little bit. Oh gosh, mm. I, I have this is totally random. Other than the tie-in being Australia, but my favorite word to, to hear Australians say is PDF. Just export oh. a good old PDF. It does sound oh, like PDF. payday. PDF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't think of a better note to end on. Other than just yeah. Australian accents. <laughs> <laughs> Tim is the smart one. He hasn't tried it yet. He's not going to put himself in that position. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got nothing. I'm not even, uh, well, I did say payday if also. Oh, you did. But. You did. <laughs> I did say payday if. Excellent. Well, it's really good to have you both back. We are going to be on our normal schedule here for the most part um, we do have an exciting guest recording that's coming up soon and we'll share more with you on that as it comes Uh, but want to thank everybody for joining us hope everybody returned if you did go to vegas safe and sound and we'll be back next week of course for another episode of breaking badness 
Bye, everybody. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.